Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a good friend and fellow professional sports better. He may not be active on social media, but those in the know know how sharp this man is. Bookmakers coast to coast, border to border, across the ocean, down by the sea, have nothing but respect for Jeff Whitelaw. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Spank. You know, uh, I don't know if I warrant that, uh, uh, but uh, thank you very much. You 100% warrant it, Jeff. Absolutely, my friend. So, Jeff, let's talk. Let's start from the beginning. How was life growing up? Well, it was, it was great. You know, I, I grew up uh, in a suburb of Buffalo called Williamsville, and uh, I went to school there. Actually, I, Williamsville North, my high school, uh, uh, Rob Gronkowski, who, who his family lived near me, uh, went to the same high school, and uh, I... I enjoyed uh, growing up in Buffalo very much outside of the weather. You know, we had uh, we had season tickets to the Bills, season tickets to the Sabers. So uh, we would. Uh, I was in love with sports right from a very young age. Did you play sports at all, or you just loved watching it, or a little bit of both? I played. Uh, I played tennis and I played baseball and. That was basically it. I wasn't uh, wasn't great at uh, baseball, but I was decent at tennis. Great. So, what made you get into sports betting per se? Well, you know, when, when I would go to like the Bills games or something, my dad used to wager, and uh, you know, I'd get like a uh, dollar or five dollars on uh, on you know on the Bills. I would always bet on the Bills. Uh, they broke my heart a lot of times uh, throughout the years. <laughs> And but I I would always uh, I would always enjoy it. You know, it, it made it made it a lot lot more interesting. You know, even if it was a, a dollar, because back then when I was a kid, a dollar was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you you would wager with friends, with bookmakers, with your dad, with family. What, what? No, it, was just, it would just be like I'd take a piece of my of my dad's uh, bet, and then I started to you know, basically look at it and say, you know, Dad, I, I think this is a good bet. And, you know, the spread looks a little low because I followed sports, and I actually uh, started to do decent with it, and and we went went that way. So my dad would bet on the games that I would uh, provide for him. Now, how old were you when you were given consulting advice to your dad about this stuff? Well, probably, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. So this is, you know, this is a very young age to be able to get something. To, did you? When did you feel as if you had a knack for this? That man, I'm, I'm, I really enjoy doing this. And you obviously are, are a math guy, and, and you're, you're into that. When, when did that kind of click? Right, right around there. You know, again, like I said, my father sort of introduced me to gambling, and then I would look in the newspaper and see what the lines were, and and it, it just, it just interested me, and. And, you know, and I, I would sort of have mind bets and say I, I would bet this team or that team, and I, I seemed to, to do pretty well. So I, I asked my dad, well, why don't you start betting on the games that I give you? My dad didn't really win, so um, as most people don't. So he actually uh, started to pick I – mean, I would only bet a dollar on the games or maybe $5, but, but he would bet on them, and uh, he actually uh, did okay. So – then, you know, let's fast forward a little bit. What brought you out to Las Vegas? I went to SUNY Albany, and we, a bunch of my friends and I, uh, we ran the intramural program and ran it pretty successfully. And... I also worked at, in an internship at the ABC affiliate in their sports department. So actually, I, I interviewed uh, Mike Tyson because uh, he was he was in upstate New York at the time. Uh, he was an up and coming uh, boxer under custom uh, in uh, in upstate New York. Wow. And but my I think it might have been my junior year. I moved. Uh, I asked my mom, if I could come to Las Vegas 
and live with my aunt and uncle that had lived in Vegas, uh, you know, since the 1967. And they said yes. And, and, uh, I moved out here. I, I got a job as a waiter at the Lady Luck Casino, which was downtown and doesn't exist anymore. I, I can't remember. It's either now it's either the, the grand, I think it might be the grand now. Um, uh, but it, again, a lot of the casinos that were back in the, in that day aren't, don't even exist anymore. And I just loved it. I played tennis with my cousin all the time and I would go, uh, go to the casinos and it was just so much fun. And the weather was so great, you know, being back East, you know, as you know, it's gloomy every day and it's just so nice to see the mountains and the sun, uh, every single day. Wow, so, so so you're not you're not a big cold weather guy, even though you know Buffalo is all cold weather. You just never adapted to that. You love the warm desert heat. I wanted I wanted to get out of that weather as soon as I possibly could. Gotcha. So when you started in Las Vegas, you're working as a waiter. You're playing tennis. Um, uh, what you know you 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 leave college. What are your what are your aspirations now? What are you planning? On, you know, what was the plan to go to Vegas to just start a new life? Um, was get were you thinking about becoming uh, a gambler or, or were you just trying to just get out well, of the cold? No, not at the, not at that point. Uh, I, what happened after college is I moved I moved to uh, Rockland County uh, in New York and I I started working uh, for Marine Midland Bank and. I was I was doing that and I was really not happy and I sort of always thought you know in the back of my mind I would like to move out to Las Vegas I don't know what I would would do but I would certainly love to work in a sports book and see what happens so as fate would have it my mom you know who who uh, had a travel agency and a family travel agency she had to have her gallbladder out and now. Now they do it laparoscopically, but back then it was a whole procedure. So she asked if I could move back home, and I said I will, but once you've recovered, you know, I want to move out to Las Vegas. And so I quit my job there and moved back to Buffalo, helped run the family business, and then when my mom recovered, I I drove out to Las Vegas, and I – actually wound up getting a job at the Barbary Coast, which was a really great experience. Uh, I met a lot of people uh, then and really, really uh, was the start of everything, working at the Barbary Coast. So what year are we talking about where you were starting to work at the Barbary Coast? That was uh, that was 1990. Great. So at the Barbary Coast, now you're working in the sports book? I was I was a ticket writer, and uh, the people that I they worked with, you know, uh, a lot of them went on to run sports books later on. But but I was uh, I was working uh, there just as a ticket writer, and Jack Franzi was the odds maker. And I remember uh, the first time, you know, you he was in the coffee shop. And you had to bring him his sheet in the morning because he would be talking to, you know, the people all around the town, you know, probably a lot of names that people wouldn't recognize anymore. Um, you know, Blackie and Herbie and, you know, people that uh, are well known from, from that area, um, Bob Martin and, you know, the, again, the, these are legends, but unfortunately, a lot of the people that are listening to your show probably don't know those names. Um, and so you'd bring the sheets to him, and he'd be having his coffee, and he'd sort of look up, and you know, they'd always say, "Don't, don't disturb him. Just give him his uh, morning uh, odds and everything." And and just, but Jack and I, uh, you know, years years to come, we became friendly. I used to end up having lunch with him almost every Friday. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, uh, his family would, would join, you know, uh, Zach, his son, Art Manteris, uh, and Chris Andrews, you know, also people that Jack brought out to Las Vegas that are 
you know, running sports books currently. Wow. So you had you were under some pretty impressive tutelage there. Um, and and these are the guys that so so when you're a ticket writer, um, are are you trying are you yearning for more? Do you want to you know rise up in the rankings? Um, in, in, in being you know a, a, an odds maker or being a bookmaker or 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 are you trying to, are you thinking about hey maybe I can you know lay one ten and earn that way? What's going through your thought process at that time? Well, what I what I found back then there wasn't uh, there wasn't Don Best uh, or any line services. So what I would do when I was on my break is I would you know walk around uh, to the casinos, you know the Flamingo, the Imperial Palace, uh, the Mirage, Caesar's Palace, and I would notice there were vast discrepancies within the lines. So there were a lot of arbitrages back then and middles as well as, as you know, lines that were way off. So I would just start betting, and I, I seemed to be making more money betting than I was uh, working in the sports book. How big were the discrepancies? <laughs> you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna like it, Spanky. You you got you got involved way too late. I know that. So <laughs> minus minus four plus seven, Ugh. you know, minus one plus five, you know, things that you just couldn't even you wouldn't fathom the, the discrepancies. You know, you'd have a baseball game minus a dollar forty and plus a dollar seventy somewhere else. <laughs> so they were huge discrepancies back then, and you know the only way you'd get them is is just going from place to place. And back then, you know, you didn't have the co- uh, the uh, casinos all consolidated like they are now. So you know, you know, whereas you know today, you know, the Mirage has eight or nine properties, Caesars has you know something like that. So, but all, back then they were all independent properties. So just to hear stuff like this, you know, it, it's crazy because I'm, you know, I'm just thinking if I was in that in that era, was there a lot of team action where you know there would be? I know there were radios or walkie-talkies where you know I would hand, you know, we'd have a team of six, seven people, eight people, whatever, where we would cover the whole entire town and we just pretty much find the big discrepancies and just gobble them all up. Um, was that happening, or can just one person like you alone, just with just enough legwork, um, able to make a nice decent earn? Well, you could you could make a nice earn back then. The, my problem back then is, is when I came out to Las Vegas, I had I had like twenty thousand dollars to my name, so you couldn't you couldn't tie up things for a long. At least I couldn't for a long period of time. But as as I built up my bankroll, and you know there were, but there, yeah, there were a lot of opportunities. And if you were out there, you know, and I I just loved the sports and watching it and everything so i would just sort of hang out in the sports book so there were always a lot of things you know back back in the day you know the mirage which was a brand new property and caesars you know mirage was run by jimmy Vaccaro and caesars was run by Vinny maulo and and both of i think we're on guests on your show already and both legends in the industry um are basically, you know, having lines and just, just between those two places and those, and those places took a, a pretty nice size bet. You could, you could find, uh, a lot of differences. Wow. Yeah. It's music to my ears. Different time, of course. So, so Jeff, what makes you leave the Barbary Coast and, and move on? Well, I, um, a, a professional gambler that uh, was betting at the Barbary Coast, um, he came in uh, and and he was actually asking me who I liked on games, and I would tell him, and he'd ask me why, and seemingly I gave him pretty good rationale why I liked them. And one day, you know, uh, you know, close to the Super Bowl, he asked me if I'd like to to work with him. He had a bankroll, and. And that was really how I got started. Uh, I was gonna get I was gonna get laid off uh, after the Super Bowl because the uh, sports died down back then after the Super Bowl. It wasn't it wasn't like it is now. Um, and 
so I decided I would I would go and work with him, and that's and that's when I uh, decided to to bet on sports more as a for a living as opposed to a hobby. And is this professional uh, well known in the business, or he likes to be you know anonymous? I'll leave, I'll leave it anonymous, but he yeah he was very well known and he uh, very sharp and he he taught me a lot of things. And I, I'm very grateful for that. And I taught him a lot of things too, as I learned things. And, but back then, you know, there were, there were correlated parlays. You know, you'd, you'd take plus a goal and a half and under five in, in, uh, in, uh, hockey. And, you know, there were a lot of opportunities. But back then, the run line, you know, on a, on a $2 favorite in baseball, the run line would be like plus a run and a half, plus a dollar ten. Now, over over the course of time, the bookmakers have adjusted. That the wise guys actually are the ones that theoretically make the line because when the line goes up, if it's off, they they bet on it and they push it to where they think it is. So, you know, back then you you could lay two to one on a on a game and and take plus a run and a half, plus a dollar ten, which that was always very strong back then. You know, even in soccer, you know, you you know, back then you could take, you know, uh uh plus a goal and under two and a half. Also extremely strong. I don't need to explain that. But again, they, they stopped that years later, uh uh for obvious reasons. So what areas do you focus on, um, Jeff, when you were working with with, with, with with this, uh, with this gentleman, and or, or with any other crew, or for yourself, was there a specific thing, or you would just always find these inefficiencies and try to exploit them? Um, well, that and and yeah, we would we would play middles, and we would also uh, bet on games. So it was, and you know, and I they didn't really have a lot of props back then, but you know, props has always been something that I've been extremely good at. Uh, but back then they really didn't have them. Uh, nowadays, you know, uh, a lot of places have have props. But but back then it was it was just a lot of playing middles, a lot of parlays and, with correlated parlays, and and then just just picking picking winners. Was there a sport that you were better at than others? Uh, probably, probably. College basketball was probably the the uh, best sport for me back then. I don't I don't even handicap those anymore. I basically just do football now. Uh, but back then, I did every sport. And was college basketball? Were there even totals back then on college basketball games or no? Oh, interesting. Yeah, back back in the day, what ended up happening. Uh, Nowadays, the college totals are basically if the, if a college uh, total is like 140, the the first half would is now would be like 66, and the second half around 74. But back in the day, the first half total was 70, and the second half total was 70. And again, these are things that uh, got adjusted over the years. So we would uh, we would go under seventy in the first half and over seventy in the second half. And again, I don't need to tell you how profitable that was. And again, as they adjusted those numbers, they started to you know well they go under when we make it a half they go under. So let's let's uh, deduct a half a point and then they deducted a full point and then they deducted two points and then three points and but again it took maybe a year year and a half before that ever occurred a lot of a lot of what happens today uh was was corrected by sharp betters back in back in the day and then to be profitable you know today you have to come up with things that haven't been thought of yet you know back back in the day again you know if you remember like the Monday night football home dog was a really strong trend. And then the odds maker used, had taken that into account and now they, they adjust, they take a point away. Uh, the, uh, other things like, uh, in the NBA playing back to back nights, there was no adjustment to that. Now there is, you know, playing 
you know, three nights and four days. You know, again, the handicappers would, would play those angles and be pretty successful with it. Now, now the odds makers take all of that into account when they make the numbers. Yeah, it's crazy how time, how they've caught up um, with with so many of these angles, and um, but there are still definitely some out there, Jeff. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's certainly uh, angles out there, and then sometimes you you can find them as as they're uh, as they're going. You know, uh, I I remember one story. A friend of mine was was betting. Uh, the Yankees, when they were building the new the new Yankee Stadium, and I think it applied to the Tigers Stadium as well, there was like a jet stream because of the construction. Uh, there was almost like a wind tunnel, and the the ball both in both stadiums was just flying out to right for whatever reason. And I think what it was, according to my friend, is that is that the way the construction was built. That it almost created like a wind tunnel. So for a few weeks while they were building uh, a specific thing uh, on the new stadium, there, there was uh, a lot of overs. So, you know, again, you, you can notice some of those those little trends that happen uh, here and there. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. There's always There's always edges out there. So let you know you mentioned Don Best before the Don Best screen. Don Best changed you know changed the industry and, and to have a live odd screen where everybody knows what they're dealing. Um, how did that affect you professionally? Well, again, it, like in the day, the the Mirage had a, a phone account and and there was a a person that did the phones there who's famous uh, in the industry, Chef. And you would call and you'd get a rundown and there'd be a lot of differences between the Mirage and, and other casinos. And you would just get a rundown because you didn't know what the numbers were and you'd just jot them all down. So there was a lot more work back then to, to get the numbers from different places. If you'd have somebody, you know, like say somebody at Caesars that took a big bet, um, and then they would give you a rundown, and you could compare the, the two properties and play middles or if it was baseball, you know, scalps between the two properties. Uh, I think back then the, the horseshoe, uh, I think uh, Nick Bogdanovich ran the horseshoe back then, and they had phone accounts, and they took a big bet because uh, uh, Jack Binion uh, ran, ran that, and, and he – he was uh, notorious for for taking uh, huge wagers, both in the pit and uh, and in sports. So there there were some phone accounts, uh, uh, and and then the rest of it you'd have to do legwork on. But the differences were very vast. And then when Don Best came, uh, everything everything got to be where almost everybody had a number within a half a point. So all the huge disparities between the properties uh, disappeared because back then they booked to their business. If if somebody laid them four and the game was three, they would move it to five. And if somebody laid them five, they'd move it to six because they didn't know that other properties had three. So, you know, again, you could have a, a, a big uh, casino customer that comes in that wants to bet his team and, and he bets it three or four times. And now the number's completely out of whack, and the properties back then would move her to off off of the business, not not off of the Don Best screen. Gotcha. Now you know, moving it just on business, given that you're out of that whack, that's not really the the, the best thing to do, especially if the customer is just a pit player or whatever. Um, what, what, you know, how does just in your opinion, um, you know. How would would you do things differently, or you know, when when do you just stick the bet in your pocket? When do you move on action? When do you sometimes you know if somebody lays you four, do you ever even go to three and a half, even though he laid you four? Is, does that ever make sense? Is there a time and place for something, you know, as crazy as that? Well, again, my philosophy would be um, to move to move off of a wise guy. Or, or a sophisticated gambler, and to not move off of off of somebody uh, that's not a sophisticated customer. So, 
So that would be how I would I would operate, and I think that's how a lot of the the sports books do operate. So that would be what what I think would be correct. No, I 100% agree with you. Now the question then becomes, and again, I'm, we're just talking, you know, theory wise. You know, some of these non-sophisticated customers, um, could they ever be tainted by a sophisticated customer, um, and then all of a sudden, pretty much have their pick of the litter? I believe uh, absolutely, and I think uh, I think that was done uh, <laughs> uh, for sure. Uh, by some people that are very well known in the industry. So therefore, then it's probably it might be a good idea to even, even if this customer is not so sophisticated, sometimes you might just consider even moving just a little bit, just in case, because in case you want to second guess. Hey, wait a minute. Especially if maybe if he's on a winning streak, or if he winds up beating the number more often than not. Um, where right. Yeah, starts... you can you can figure that out though in in a pretty short period of time. Absolutely. So you know, if, if if the guy, if you think the guy uh, is now getting some information from somebody, uh, you could you could do it a little differently. So, Jeff, you know, you, you you've been in the game for so long, and, and and you've had so many angles. You've been profitable for 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 so many years. What um you know, what advice would you give to a, a sports better, a novice sports better, somebody that's coming up? in this day and age to, you know, try to help them out along their way? Well, one of the things you have, they have to be realistic and they have to understand that, you know, only, only a, maybe one to 2% of the people are actually going to win. And if you're going to do it just as recreation, make sure that you uh, use a bankroll that you can afford to lose so that you're not going to be uh, hurting yourself if, if you lose it. And then, and then you have to have uh, your percentage uh, of your bankroll to bet on a specific game. So you have to decide what your unit's going to be. Say, say it might, if you have a bankroll of like, say, 5000 that you're willing to lose during the year, you might bet $100 per game. And I'm just using simple, you know, uh, mathematics. So you might bet like two percent on a game, and then if you really like a game, you might you might bet three or four hundred on it. But you can't you can't go crazy uh, on any any one particular game, and then hopefully uh, build your bankroll up as as you go. Um, which again, you know, the 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 best thing to do, it, obviously, as a general rule would be to bet on underdogs and to bet unders. The majority of the public bets on favorites and overs, so the lines are sometimes a little skewed that way. And so your value would probably be, uh, you know, on unders and underdogs, uh, which, again, a lot of times is hard for people to to bet on. As a general rule, obviously, there are you can't, just bet on underdogs and unders, uh, you know, sometimes over and the, and the favorite are the right side, so to speak. Um, I would also have, you'd have to have some different, different uh, places to wager. So, you know, as, as these uh, uh, jurisdictions uh, open more and more sports books across the country, as you have uh, some, like, mobile apps, you could you could have uh, a couple a couple of the uh, places so that you can have a little bit difference of a line because sometimes that extra half a point is the difference between you know winning or pushing or losing. So you know that also changes your odds a little bit if you can if you can have you know two or three sets of lines. Like if you're using that hypothetical bankroll. You know, you have fifteen hundred dollars in three mobile apps, and you and you at least now get the best number, which will will, will help you a little bit uh, across the line. This is great advice, Jeff. I, I you know, line shopping and to be able to have a different, just like in anything, you know, if you're going to buy something in, in in a store or whatever, it's always good to you know, if I'm ever in a store and if I'm, you know, my son wants me to buy him a video game or something. 
you know, I always compare the price to an online store, and if it's not that, you know, if there's a, I know there's a there's a cost for wanting it now versus uh, waiting a few days, but you know, always compare prices. Um, it's just a it's just a general principle in anything in life shopping, and and I think it so deeply applies to our business. Absolutely, Jeff. In in your experience, you've seen so many pros come and go in this business. Um, and you, you know, to your first point when you mentioned money management, to be able to set a bankroll aside, how many, you know, in your opinion, how many winning handicappers are there that are very good that could actually bet and win money, but they just can't manage their money and they wind up going tapioca, just because they just don't have the discipline to be able to withstand losing streaks or to be able to withstand the, you know, the tough times. Well, I mean, again, I, I there's so few, and majority of the people that you know do it for a living are are probably living out in in Las Vegas, uh, you know. But obviously, there's people all all over the place. But again, it's very very hard to to win over the course of time in sports unless unless you really know what you're doing. If you're if you're just doing it recreationally which that's fine. You, you know, you enjoy, enjoy it. Uh, hopefully you win. You're certainly going to get entertainment out of it, but to do it, to do it, uh, to make a livelihood, you basically have to devote, you know, your whole time to it, you know, to work a job and then, and then do this, you know, uh, on the weekends, you know, isn't, isn't going to, uh, isn't going to work to, to make a living at it. Uh, but money management is actually the most important thing in sports wagering. Uh, it's more important than, than the actual picking winners. So you, you could, you could pick 50, 46% and, and still be a winning player if you use proper money management. Again, you would have to obviously, uh, be betting more on the games uh, that you're winning and, and less on the losers. Uh, but again, the, the best the best guys when you get a really good opportunity, uh, you you have to be able to uh, not be afraid to, to wager on it and, and make a good wager on it because again you're not you're not necessarily going to get some of those opportunities again. So. When you find something that's uh, a really soft number or something, you have to be able to exploit that, and that's one of the keys to being successful. Is you know betting betting a unit uh, on on the regular games, and then betting three or four units on a on a game where you have a tremendous edge. Now, when you say three or four, you know, in your in your history and in, in what you've been doing, you know, if you're betting one unit as your standard, how many you've gone, you know, have you ever gone beyond 4x um, on something? Has there something been that good that you went 5x, 6x, 10x? Well, yeah, there are. I mean, you know, for example, I don't know if you were around back, uh, you know, there, there used to be uh, Doc's Big Ten Game of the Year. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but the game would move about six or seven points. And sometimes when I would get when I would get something like that, I would bet as much as I could um, on that, and then and then buy back something. But I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily keep a position on that. But a lot of a lot of the uh, no, I I probably would never bet like uh, more than like five five units on a game. Gotcha. Perfect. Um, you meant just to get back to that money management uh, principle because I think it's 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 like you you know we stressed it. It's so important. Is is there a time in which you know like uh, you know we we had like me I personally we had a really rough January, um, and we went through a really rough stretch. How does one stay? You know, just to ask you and how you've done it. How have you stayed mentally? Uh, strong during rough stretches. Well, I I actually try to have as much discipline as I can. What you have to do is, as you're losing, you might you might decrease your bets to maybe you know a half of a unit or three quarters of a unit until it starts to turn around, almost like a safeguard to to prevent you from you know losing your cool. Gotcha. Whereas 
the, the, the wrong way to do it would actually be, be double up or to try to chase your losses, as they say, um, which you hear so many, so many people doing. Absolutely. I mean, you hear that you hear the stories of the, the people that, you know, uh, come in and bet red or black on the, uh, roulette wheel and they say, you know, I, I just want to win 20 or $40 and I'm just going to keep doubling up and I'm bound to win sooner or later. And they win 20 and they win 20 and seven, eight times in a row, they win, they win their 20 and they walk away and, and they say, oh, you know, I'm on to something. They're just give, giving you free money if you're, as long as you're, willing to you know keep doubling up and then and then one time uh you know after they've lost six in a row they go oh my god you know and they don't have the 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 money to to go that seventh bet so you know they they thought they had something you know but obviously everybody has come to vegas and had their systems and and various things but the casinos they keep building more and more of them and and it's not because they're losing (laughs) <laughs> That's for sure. So, given now the state of the industry, Jeff, with the consolidation of sports books and how you know everything now, you know there's just not as many line sets as there used to be. How do you, how does someone like you adapt to that? And and what um you know what changes have you made um in your professional betting career? Well, again, I mainly just do football now. But again, you know, I have. Uh uh mobile apps you know so you know when i'm when i'm in front of uh at my desk i can i can see the discrepancies in the lines and you know there's always there's always certain places i mean there's a new book now circa that just came out uh last year uh that you know derek stevens is is uh you know owns and so there's always things that come come along. So you lose one thing, you get another thing. So and then you know you just have to always try to to stay ahead and find that that new angle that no one has thought of before. And then and then you hopefully you know you're right. And you know in this day and age with uh, algorithms and databases, you can actually do a query and and find out whether or not something works by you know saying, you know, uh, if you bet on this, you know, over the course of the last two years and you run it and see if it works or it doesn't work. Now, do you use any databases or everything that you do is by by hand, pencil and paper? Unfortunately, I have not adapted to that uh, way. So I'm actually way behind the times. I'm I'm more of a dinosaur uh, because I, I wanted to get I wanted to get a little bit away from the sports betting, do less. And, and more, uh, you know, sort of just focus on, on the football, which, which I enjoy and then do the rest of the, the things more as a novice or, you know, occasionally. And in, unless you, unless in this day and age you, you are using, uh, algorithms and databases, you're, you're way behind the times. You know, to compete with a computer is, is very difficult. Although, although I'm not sure the computer can, analyze the uh the revenge factor and a few other things uh you know that that come into play from time to time you know but jeff that's a testament to your skill set um you know given even you're not using any technology really you're still able to bet super bowl props um you're and very well you're still being able to bet football profitably so and you're still you know you have made your mark on the business and you know you've supported yourself with just sports betting for all these years so and and every bookmaker um you know in the world or a prominent bookmaker knows of you and and knows how strong you are um so that just goes to show that it's not just all about technology you're very good at what you do well Again, thank you for the compliment. And the other thing, I, I have a good rapport with, with most of the bookmakers because, you know, I don't like to, to bet a, a, a bad number. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of the books, uh, they will, uh, you know, appreciate that if they put up a wrong favorite or, uh, or a bad number, I'll, I'll, I'll let them know as opposed to betting on it. And, and, you know, so I, I've stayed in, in good 
good graces with most of the people. Well, even, even not even just a bad number. I remember, you know, Vinny Maiulo on, on, on this podcast, you know, uh, uh, gave us a story when, 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 you know, you knew that Michael Jordan wasn't going to play, and you told Vinny, and Vinny still gave you a courtesy play, and but but you you know and you didn't even expect that, but you just told him that information, and and he gave you the courtesy play, and you took it, of course, but that was so not you know it's it's one of those things in which the bookmaker better relationship. I always say this doesn't have to be adversarial, it doesn't have to be a conflict. We don't have to hate each other. We could actually get along just fine, even though I'm trying to take their money, they're trying to take mine, but it's okay because. Because if we could both work together, we're both going to make money doing what we do, and, and we don't have to be at each other's throats. And I think you, you know, even back in, in, the, in the 90s during the Jordan era, you know, with that story, I think that resonated with me so well, and it resonated with Vinny for Vinny to even bring it up um, on, on how, you know, not all betters are bad, not all bookmakers are bad. We actually can get along. You know, yeah, that was uh, that was almost uh, twenty five years ago. Yeah. Twenty five years ago, I remember that. You know, the funny thing is, is that uh, his courtesy bet is a lot. It, it, uh, his courtesy bet is was more than most of these books take in the NBA now. <laughs> That's funny. I think he gave you like he told me like five or ten dimes, which is which is a monster in today's day, right? In this day and age. To get five or ten dimes on the NBA side, that doesn't really happen. No, not not too much not too much anymore. You could actually bet a lot more back in the nineties, uh, than you can today. Uh overall, you know, obviously there are some uh books that will take uh a very large bet, say on the Super Bowl or or you know a few of the other uh, you know NBA championships, et cetera. But for the most part, the limits on a day-to-day basis are are, are way smaller than they were uh, back in the nineties. Why? You know, I I think uh, I think today the corporations have taken over the uh, the uh, casinos and they. They aren't very knowledgeable as to how profitable the sports book can be. I mean, if you really look at it, I don't know if there's ever been a sports book in in the state of Nevada that's ever had a losing year. Uh, I would, I don't know that for a fact, but I would, I would be feel willing to wager that it's never happened that a, a sports book would lose for the entire year. And and I think a lot of times, a lot of the people that are running the books today aren't really bookmakers. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're just trying to, you know, uh, appease the upstairs people and not lose and, and instead of really worrying about, about winning. You know, I mean, if, if you went to the, the blackjack table and they, and they said, uh, you know, your limit is you can only bet $5 uh, on uh, a hand of blackjack, well, you know, the pit's, the pit's going to still make money but they're not going to make the money that they would if their limit was thousand or, or two thousand, and and upstairs is 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 going to look at it. But I think again that they uh, the people upstairs are more like bean counters, and they're really more or less looking at the uh, sports book as well. We don't want a lot of volatility, and and we don't really want to lose. So just don't lose, you know, and, and uh, if, if we're uh, winning less than we should be winning, then we don't, we don't really care. We, we want to have a higher winning percentage, and if that costs us uh, some money, uh, then, then so be it. It, it, so that just to just to expand on that, you know, many casinos would say that the sports book is just an extra. It's just for to bring people in. It's not, you know, it's obviously never going to replace the slot machines or whatnot. But on the other side of that coin, can a sports book like you just mentioned be run? Even though we understand that it's just, you know, an auxiliary. It's 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 an it's just a, 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 a an addendum, so to speak, to to, to what the main casino is. Um, can it still be run in a way that it could still be very profitable? Oh, absolutely, and and they are very profitable. I mean, the thing is, is 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 they're they're not as profitable as a as a slot machine. I mean, if 
if they took out all the sports books and replaced them with slot machines, the slot machines would do way, way better than, than the sports books. But, you know, the sports books do bring in, do bring in people and, and they, and they are very profitable. I mean, you're, you're laying, you're laying 10%, you know, and, and, you know, most people aren't, aren't going to win even if they weren't laying any percentage, if they, they were just, uh, flipping a coin and, and picking their game. So, yeah, they're definitely profitable. And like I said, uh, every, every book makes money. It's just the question of, of how much money, you know, I mean, again, I would, I would rather, I would rather make, uh, you know, 5% of, of 200 million in volume as opposed to, you know, 8% of like 90 million in volume, you know, whereas, you know, the, the people upstairs, even though the, the casino that wrote 200 million and made 5%, they, they would make more money than the casino that, that held 8% and, and wrote, you know, uh, 90 million that, but the, but the upstairs people seem to, uh, the executives, uh, seem to be happier with the higher win percentage. So the handle is not as important as it once was. Uh, it, it was it, the handle used to be a driving factor. On what, well, how much are you writing? How, you know, the more you write, the better it's going to be in the long run. Now it's all about the hold percentage, how much we're holding. Um, how, let, let's compare, you know, certain Las Vegas sports books. For example, Circa. You mentioned Circa earlier. Circa is trying to write as much business as possible. They're not turning anyone away. Um, how do you compare right. that to somebody, let's say, like a William Hill, who is notorious for turning everyone away, and all they care about is they just want to hold as much as possible? Well, Circa, Met, Metcalf runs uh, Circa, and he's very qualified, and their owner likes to likes to take big bets, and they're, they're very willing to, to take on all people. And a place like William Hill... Uh, as long as you're not a sophisticated gambler, they'll they'll take they'll take a big bet from you as well. They probably, have, from what I understand, have like a team put together to to analyze accounts. A lot of the European outfits do that, and they determine uh, the winning players. You know, if they determine that they're sharp or wise guys or sophisticated or whatever terminology you want to use. And then they get rid of them. And, and actually, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, sort of know what they're doing, but over the course of time probably aren't going to win. They may get the best number, but they're not going to win long term. So they probably get rid of a lot of people that they would, they would beat long term anyway, which is, of course, a mistake. Absolutely. So to, to, to your credit, what you just said, that they have teams dedicated to kicking people out. Dave Purdom for ESPN wrote an article confirming this, you know, interviewing former employees and, and whatnot. And Vic Salerno, who actually toured the William Hill office in Europe uh, on, the, on this podcast, uh, told me that it's like an FBI's most wanted list. They have pictures up of sophisticated sports bettors and they actually give employees bonuses um if they find uh, if they're ever if they ever spot one of these guys it's like we're public enemy number one well it's a sad state of affairs and again again uh the book the book is only as good as the person running it so you know if you were you know to put a top bookmaker at a at a property that was maybe even before not even a big book that book would then you know escalate right to the top so when a circa comes in you know they they immediately are are uh, you know a credit to the industry because they they know what they're doing so you know nick nick bogdanovich who runs williams hills uh sports department you know is is extremely competent and you know his his boss isn't really interested in being a bookmaker, but if it wasn't for Nick, uh, William Hill would wouldn't even be a, a a factor. If if Joe Asher stopped micromanaging Nick Bogdanovich and let Nick does what he does best, because Nick has been in this business for a long time, I hear nothing but great things about. Him. I never met him personally. I hear nothing but great things about him. If Joe just stopped 
uh, uh, wanting to kick all these people out and micromanaging it and let Nick do his thing, would William Hill be more profitable than they are today? In my opinion, vastly more popular, pop, excuse me, vastly more profitable than they are today. And, and popular, too. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so why does Joe Asher, who has no bookmaking experience, who's, you know, who's, you know, everyone confirms he's not a bookmaker, why does he think he knows better than a guy who's been in the business for so long who understands how to manage risks, who understands how to move lines, who understands how to pit wise guys against each other, who understands how that it's okay to take on customers, you just move a number, and you're able to manage the risk properly, you could turn a profit. Why does Joe not believe in Nick? I, I don't know. I don't know if he doesn't believe in Nick or whether what his philosophy is. Uh, that would be a good question. Uh, didn't didn't you try to ask him that question? I did ask him that, and he actually I asked him that at a conference, the Betting on Sports America conference, and um, <laughs> he just denied. He he thinks he, you know he's in la la land. He actually says, oh no, everything is fabricated or it's blown out of proportion. Um, William Hill accepts winning customers. We, we love winners. His chief marketing officer also on a panel said that they love winners. It's all bullshit. Um, they don't want to, you know. And again, listen, if you're going to take this quote unquote recreational gamblers only approach, okay, they're not going to be the first bookmaker to do that, and they're not going to be the last. They're not the first, and they're not going to be the last. But why don't they own it? Why don't they just own it and say we don't want sharp players? When you're when you're asked this, we don't want sharp players. Do you you know? Obviously, it's going to hurt them a little bit. But you know what? Be real because the public is not stupid. The public is, knows exactly that you know you guys. If they have if they get half a clue, you're going to kick them out. The public does not want to be fooled, and I think that they're just trying to put a fast one over the public. And most most people that don't listen or not on social media, that don't uh, do their research, are or not going to believe it, or or not going to you know they're not going to worry about it. But but the, the, there are going to be people out there that one day that think they're going to be good enough to be to be a pro or to be a semi pro or to be able to be a profitable sports better. They're going to say, why the heck should I give my business to William Hill when when if I ever reach that plateau, if I ever reach that peak, I'm going to get the boot. I'm going to be treated like shit. I'm going to be shown the door. Why give your business to a place like that? I, I'm hoping that there are people that listen to this podcast that see it out there for what it's worth and say, you know what? Why do I? Why should I give my business to a place that uh, that punishes me for being too good? Yeah, it's a shame. Like I said, a lot of the European outfits, their 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 way of doing things is so different than the American way, and you know, it's very fair obviously you know if you're gonna if you're going to uh book you know obviously you certainly would want to uh take a larger bet from uh from a customer that doesn't do it for a living but you should still take bets from from people that do do it and use their information because the information that they're giving you is very valuable and you know again people that are in the business appreciate that and understand that and it's become a business more of a us versus them mentality and as i said earlier it used to be very very different where you would you would work with the book book and the better would work together and you know when they needed a little extra on a game you'd always give it to them and if and if not you know the information you'd, you'd share with them and it would help it would help a lot to your point, what a great point you just made. Jimmy Vaccaro confirmed that on a, on a podcast I did recently where he said, you know, the wise guys were always fair to me because I was fair to them. They never really stuck it up, you know, hit me hard. They, you know, they always treated me well. And we, there was a mutual respect. Um, and, and that's the way. No, a lot of times, you know, like back then, you know, uh, there were teasers, the, the, the price of teasers, uh, a seven-point teaser was like a dollar twenty. Um, now, now it's a dollar forty and up. And and you know you you'd ask. You know you wouldn't 
try to buy the tease the same teaser three or four times, you would you would just ask Jimmy, I want to play this teaser. How much can I have on it? And he'd give you a fair amount, ten thousand, twenty thousand, whatever whatever he wanted. And then you would just play it one time, and you'd be done. And it, and it was like on the honor system. You know, he he would basically you know not give you such a good bet that you wouldn't want to hit him a second or third time because he'd pretty much give you what you wanted anyway. There was a mutual respect in the business that is dying. I don't want to say it's gone because there are still a few bookmakers out there all over the world that there's still mutual respect between the customer and the bookmaker, but it definitely is a, a dying a dying thing. And um, it's only, I think, w- within the, the old school generation, guys that understand how the business originated and, and, and everything on, on the foundations of the business that still... Uh, and realize that this this relationship doesn't have to be adversarial. It doesn't have to be a, 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 a you know a conflict of interests. We can both make money. We can both get along. Absolutely. So Jeff, um, you know you've been in the game for so long. I'm sure you have some great stories to share. Anything that comes to your mind on the top of your head? Well, I'll tell you when when I first started at the Barbary in 1990. Um, in my first year, I was a ticket writer, and the Bills were playing the Giants in the Super Bowl, <laughs> and I was, like everybody else, sweating the Norwood kick, being a Bills fan my whole life, and I had a big middle on the game for, at, at the time, the biggest middle I ever had, and Norwood missed the kick, and my my boss at the time, Jerry Lutt, uh, comes over to me, knew I was a Bills fan, taps me on the shoulder, says, tough break, kid. He says, why don't you take five minutes and then you're going to cash all these tickets. And basically, for like the next six hours, I had, I was just cashing ticket after ticket from everybody lined out the door in the Barbary, uh, cashing all the winning tickets. And then staying, staying with the Barbary, we had um, a nickel line in baseball for a couple of years. And my supervisor, Jay Baccaro, was there, uh, Jimmy's nephew. And we would just write tickets all day and all night. And, and it was just nonstop. And, and there was every wise guy was there, you know, and we would just earn a penny here, a penny there. And we always seemed to have the best number. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And another Barbary story, uh, in 92, we had a split line on the Super Bowl, uh, six and a half or seven and a half. The Redskins minus six and a half, or the Bills plus seven and a half. Back in the day when the Bills seemed to be in the Super Bowl every year and lose, and and that was crazy because if you know every bet we had the best number in town. The the game was painted seven, and everybody that wanted to lay six and a half came, and everybody that wanted to take seven and a half came and. So we had it on the billboard, and basically everybody knew in town and uh, that we had the best number on it. And so we just wrote all the business. Michael Gaughan, who ran, owned the Barbary, ran a great um, operation and gave everybody a really fair shake. Um, and, you know, the game didn't fall seven, so it wound up okay, but it could have been uh, – a very very hectic uh, day had the Redskins won by seven. Yeah, that, that's and, more than fair <laughs> to be able to offer right. that kind and, of thing. And you know, and, and, and even to this day, you know, uh, Michael Gaughan has in the like the NCAA tournament that we don't get to have this year uh, uh, a nickel line on like the Sweet Sixteen and on. So you know, he always he always gives back to the customers as like an appreciation and. You know, it's it's a shame, you know, with what's going on now with the with the sports. And one other story, this is a fun story of mine. I was sitting in the Mirage as I often did back then, and uh, a guy sitting to my left, and he's blowing, uh, smoking a cigar, blowing it not intentionally, but going in my face. So it sort of teared my eye, and he he says to me, "Pale, that cigar smoke bothering you?" And I said, no, no, it's all, it's all good. And he says, no, he says, I'll, I'll put it out. He says, you seem to know what you're doing, though. Could you, could you tell me who, 
who to bet on. So I gave him a game, and then I completely forgot about it. He comes back to me a few hours later and, and thanks me. I don't even remember who he is. And, and uh, he's been a friend of mine for 30 years. He calls me all the time to see who I'm betting on. He's 96 years old now and still betting. Fascinating stuff, Jeff. You've, you've been in the game for so long. You've made your mark on a business. And, um, you know, I remember when we first met in, in Vegas, you know, probably I would say close to 15 years ago. Um, you know, I, I, you really, you know, you helped me out a lot, showed me a few things. And uh, for that, I'm forever grateful. You, you know, you are, uh, you know, definitely someone I look up to in the business. One of the most, you know, honorable people and, and one of the sharpest guys in the business. And it's such a pleasure, you know, to have you on this show and to be able to share some of your wisdom with the listeners. Um, and and it really is, you know, such an honor. Thank you so much for coming on, Jeff. Thank you so much, Spanky. I appreciate it. What a class act Jeff Whitelaw is. This guy is so knowledgeable. And he's so deep in the business. He's been around for such a long time. And when I say, you know, not too many people know about Jeff Whitelaw. But the people that know, like that are in the know, they all know who this is. He is a legend among legends. One of the best in the business. And he's very humble. He ain't going to admit to a lot of things. But he is second to none. Um, He is just one of the best of the best. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.